Hey guys, thanks for joining another episode of Wizards After Dark. This one's going to be up on Monday morning, recording late Sunday night. I'm Fred Katz. I am the host of Wizards After Dark. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic. This one's a free episode. This one's up on iTunes. It's also going to be up on The Athletic. If you're listening on The Athletic Podcast Player, that's great. If you're listening on iTunes and you're not an Athletic subscriber, you can become an Athletic subscriber. You can actually get 40% off. This is going to be good for a while. I don't know for how long, but this offer is good for a while. If you enjoy Wizards After Dark, if you're a listener, you want the bonus episodes, Wednesday's postgame show, for example, is going to be a bonus episode up on The Athletic, not on the iTunes feed. You can go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark, and you can sign up for The Athletic, and you can get 40% off on that annual subscription. So do that, and you won't just get Wizards After Dark. You'll get everything with your Athletic subscription. You'll get my Wizards coverage. You'll get David Aldridge and Michael Lee and all the other people that we have. Uh, covering the Wizards and the NBA and MLB and NFL and everything else. And you'll also get my guest today, the guy who has been on this podcast since before it was on The Athletic, since before it was anything. It's still not anything. Uh, Ben Standig. I forgot your name for a second. That's all right. That's that's good. that's fine. That's must, good. It's, I've had that happen before in life. Must have been um, the edibles I took before the podcast. Give me a ten game suspension. Could be. Could could be it. But uh, I was gonna say I don't think I've been on for a little bit now. I think this is like your version of podcast load management or something. <laughs> That's true. I want to make sure that your uh, your larynx is in a good spot for uh, for April. You know. <laughs> right, the, the podcasts are. Although I, I guess in the case of the Wizards, the most important ones may be. Well, I don't know. What are the more important ones? The one now, or the ones in in March and April when we're focusing on the draft? I think they're all important, my friend. Oh, I think my, if my you, apologies. I think if you take that approach and you don't come out giving a hundred percent to each podcast you have, then you're not in the right business. <clears throat> um, that, that is a fair assessment. Either way, I am ready to go. I'm rested. Voice is uh, the voice is good. I was uh, energized watching some so-so football today, so re- ready to go. Can we talk about the Dion Waiters thing first? Because I have stuff I need to get off my chest. Let, let's uh, let, let's do it. Okay, totally on Wizards related, but Dion Dion Waiters got suspended ten games by the Heat for conduct detrimental to the team. And obviously it was reported a couple days ago that DM waiters took an edible on, took an edible gummy with THC in it, of course, and had a panic attack on the team plane. How there are so many things that I find ridiculous about this. Number one, I don't understand how, and, and I haven't really spoken to people who do understand it yet to get an answer. And I'm, so I'm just raw podcasting this thing and getting everything out. How are the Heat able to go around the collectively bargained marijuana rules, like which are set in stone and not arbitrary? It's like the first time you test positive, there's no penalty. You get enrolled in the league's marijuana program. Second time you test positive, it's a fine. It's kept confidential. No one gets out. The third time, it's a five-game suspension. How are they able to just jump to a 10-game suspension? Second thing, how is a team allowed to suspend a guy for – something when he has a games played incentive in his contract like that seems to me like you're just asking for the nba pa to file a grievance right 
He has a games played incentive. So so why wouldn't you just put games played incentives into everyone's contract and then suspend them however many games that they're supposed to miss so they don't get their games played incentive? That is wild to me that that's a thing that can happen. And my number one issue with this, and look, it's very possible there are things that happened here that we don't know about this. My number one issue with this beyond the fact that, like, they got gummies, like edible gummies. This is, it was almost certainly purchased legally if it's a gummy. And my number one problem with this is beyond the fact that I don't believe the player should be suspended for marijuana is he had a panic attack. Like, are we really – is it really worth it to discourage players uh, in, in a league that so many people are depressed – this has been written about so many times. So many people have mental health issues of all these different types, you know, whether that's like a really serious thing and someone might be really seriously, life-changingly depressed, or someone might just be kind of dealing with the day-to-day stuff of regular everyday life anxiety. And you are really, when someone has a panic attack, going to react to, to re- kind of hurting that conversation by then suspending somebody for that because it... It happened while the guy took a took a, a weed gummy. Like that's really what you're doing. I just I, I have such a problem for what that does for the conversation about mental health in the NBA. I hate that. Anyway, that's yeah. the rant. Um no no, good good stuff. The the um you know, I I've been reading a little bit but just mostly on sort of the the headlines and, and the, the details as to what happened. I hadn't really thought too much about what the points you're bringing up, which are which are definitely definitely good points. Um, yeah, it's interesting from the team perspective. Like how, when I saw the report just a couple hours ago, I guess from Shams about the the suspension. That um, yeah, I was I did I guess sort of wonder. Well, wait, who's 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 handling this down? The team or the NBA? And obviously, it sounds like it's the team. And yeah, how, how is that feasible? That that is a very um, interesting point. I don't know. It almost seemed like. Sometimes, like I know, like in college sports, when a team commits an infraction of some sort, they penalize themselves before the NCAA gets to it in order to uh, sort of be like, hey, you know, don't 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 go any crazier. We we already did something here. I, mean, I don't know if that necessarily makes any sense what I'm saying, but it almost just felt like Miami was almost being like proactive on some weird level. But uh, yeah, we probably need to get, I guess, more details as to what as to what happened. Um, but you're right. I mean, if there is in the collective bargaining, uh, you know, uh, points that, that deal with exactly this, then yeah, how do you, how do you get around that? I guess it's worth noting on, on some level that Dion Waiters has not been a, a great, uh, citizen for them this year. He had a, what a one game suspension early on for mm-hmm. uh, ranting on social media about not playing. And, um, you know, it looks like that, that relationship is, you know, tense, um, on, on a good day. On some level, so uh, so yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, no, I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic to see what happens, what happens here. And while it's not the same thing at all in terms of the uh, the substance, you know, we we've just recently had three NBA players test positive for uh, some sort of banned uh, substance, uh, you know, from a training perspective or whatever. And <clears throat> it was interesting. I thought that that happened because almost. We almost rarely have NBA guys get popped. Obviously, in this area, Jody Meeks 
um, you know, a couple years ago, and that was a pretty rare one. So I don't know. I, I was kind of wondering about that. that. Is the NBA on some level testing guy? Is there some new test or something, or, or what's happening there? So this isn't the same thing at all, but just sort of um, in terms of what what happened. But I don't know. It just sort of st- struck me as interesting that we've had, you know, na- you know, now four of these cases in different ways that almost never come up in any NBA season. Yeah, and and look, it's possible there's something else behind this and that's why they said other maybe other things have happened and you mentioned the one game suspension and Dion's been unhappy about his role and all that kind of stuff but like they put out a stern statement really kind of reprimanding Dion Waiters and saying that his behavior of lately has been unacceptable and man if you suspended every NBA player who smoked weed if you suspended Every player, every person in their 20s who has disposable income and free time, if you suspended everyone who fits that that particular demographic, 20s, disposable income, free time, suspended them from work for 10 days or 10 important work days, we wouldn't, like, we wouldn't have a workforce. It would be done. The percentage of people in their 20s who touch weed is so high and they're uh-huh. going, what, what what now did you hear what you just said oh it's so high there we go you know what totally unintentional i'm just doing it in my sleep now <laughs> <laughs> the uh by, by the way there 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 is like one other element at least I, I think i saw this that was that's sort of interesting is that there's some sense for i, th- I think this is also part of Shams' report that there's some sense, I guess, that Waiters received the gummy from one of his teammates but wasn't saying anything. Yes, that's um, what Shams said. But, but, hey, they were coming – okay, look, if if it's a gummy, that means it was bought legally. They were also – they were on a road trip where they were in Denver. Uh, it was most likely just purchased in Denver. That that seems like a, a, a realistic thing. So we're talking about something that was purchased legally. Like we're not talking about any sort of nefarious behavior. Guys, I mean, team, be- team flights, teams, they fly late. Like there are tons of things that you will buy legally that just help you sleep. Like that is the the that is like the number one reason why someone would take that at one in the morning on a flight. It's it's not this crazy thing where we need a stigma for it. And to me, the mental health aspect of it, where it's like the guy had a panic attack and they're ruling him doing drugs and having something bad for his health happen while on drugs. It's like it doesn't need to have that kind of framing. And I get there could be things that we don't know about. I get that not everything can be reported. But the way that it's phrased in that statement that they put out and what has been reported makes it seem like this is what it is. And I get that there's more background to it. But I really think that we as a society need to get to a place and basketball teams, which are trying to be better about mental health organizations, and some are better than others. Organizations need to get to a place where somebody takes a weed gummy on a team plane that was purchased legally, has a panic attack. The reaction needs to be, okay, how can we help him? Not all right, suspend him for 10 days. That is not how this happens. Cause guess what? Now Dion waiters, if something's going on in his life, if something's happening with him, 
if he had a panic attack for a reason beyond just like a, a freak out when he was on an edible, uh, you know, if if that's happening now, now he's less likely to get better than if you said, let me help you. And now he may even be more likely to do something not in in proper interest of the team too because he's not getting better. Like that's just not the way that I believe these situations should be handled. I'm just kind of disappointed in how this is being handled. Um, yeah, and, you know, to, for the record, like, I, I definitely think, you know, marijuana should be legal, and I think it seems like society were going in the right direction and, and all that stuff. But I would say that, like, I think the panic attack aspect, obviously, like you said, we don't know what happened. I, I will say from uh, from folks I know who have uh, uh, dealt with the edibles, that the, the the variance on those things can be pretty severe, so it is conceivable that the panic attack could have come from taking it, which isn't to stigmatize the whole situation. It's just to say it is conceivable that's what caused it. Again, we don't yep. know anything about his life. So, yeah, I, I would just say that's something to keep in mind. But no, uh, that's true. Yeah, the, the, the whole thing is. Um, yeah, the, the whole thing is interesting. I, I think the Dion Waiters part of it all is is such a thing. He's such a polarizing player. Um, you know, it's. I mean, it, I, I don't think the Wizards had ever had any intention of taking him, but he was the player to go immediately after Bradley Beal in the 2012 draft. He went four, Beal went three, and um, you know, it felt like that was a little bit of a reach for Waiters at the time. And at various points, he's shown some potential, but obviously, he's been just one of those guys. You know, sort of in the the Nick Young category of like it feels like. They think they're better than they are and can score um, over anybody, but they never quite develop their full game, and they just sort of get at some point people that don't really know what to do with them. That has nothing to do with what we're discussing, but I almost think on some level, because of who he is and the reputation he has, it's it's going to get viewed by in some quarters a certain way versus if it had been somebody else, you know, it might be viewed uh, might be viewed somewhat differently. Speaking of getting high, let's talk about the Wizards' defensive efficiency with Isaiah Thomas on the floor. I never is that, is that getting high or getting low? I can never tell. I guess it's well, the defensive high. efficiency is getting high. Yeah, it's uh, it's not. Yeah, you sent me a screenshot today of uh, of what that was, and uh, fortunately, I was seated. All right, well let's let's talk about it. So, the Wizards' defensive efficiency with Isaiah Thomas off the court is one hundred three point eight. And I'll have this in a in a story that I'm putting up on Monday. It's one hundred three point eight. That means they allow 103.8 points per 100 possessions when Isaiah Thomas is off the floor. That's not bad. That would be 11th in the NBA if it belonged to a team. Their defensive efficiency when he is on the floor, they allow 124 points per 100 possession. Now, like, worse than the NBA is the Warriors, and they're 117. And that is, like, the worst in recorded history, I think, since NBA.com started tracking this stuff. That is, like, the worst. So we are talking seven points worse. I mean, it is it is really bad. Now it's 136 minutes. They played some really good offenses, and there's teams are making a lot of threes when Isaiah Thomas is on the floor, and that a large percentage, and that that is going to come down. There's some noise in those numbers going to come down. But man, like this is one of those situations where like you don't you look at the number and then you watch the film and you're like ooh i test matches up with the numbers on this one like it's it's not good it's a problem yeah i mean 
obviously, as we've discussed before, the Wizards did not like build a roster this season for contention. They built the roster to, you know, sort of get through this season, get young players, people you know, like in the, who are hungry, all, all those types of things. They wanted to avoid multi-year contracts and so on. Um, and they, they, they did that, and the only only move that they made that was sort of odd to a degree was adding Isaiah Thomas. It didn't cost him anything, but it, uh, you know, it was odd from a standpoint of, like, what he's been and, and kind of, you know, is he going to be a guy who's a little too um, ball-dominant or whatever. But but one aspect of it that just never made sense off the bat to me was, even in the sense of, okay, we're not really focusing on building a roster out the way you might normally – it, they already had Ish Smith. If you had Sadar, if you had kept Sadaransky just for argument's sake, and then had Isaiah Thomas, at least at any point in time, you can go to a big defense, a big point guard, and and have that element on the court. Sadaransky, you know, not all NBA defender, but obviously a, a pretty good one that we saw over time. Or at least he could certainly hold his own more often than not. To have two guys who are you know sub six feet tall, and neither one of them is a particularly I mean, exciting. I mean, I mean, Ish Smith is better than Isaiah Thomas, but like, you, you know, it, 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 you basically are just swapping in the same guy for the other guy, except one guy is worse. It, it just, I mean, in the context of being as competitive as possible now, regardless of the overall talent on the roster, it just makes it so challenging. And I mean, this is, you know, Isaiah at his. I always thought when of those Isaiah teams, particularly the one that made that reached the Eastern Conference Finals, beat the Wizards and all that. The thing about that Isaiah, that team, it reminded me of the the team that the Sixers had when they won when they went to the finals with Allen Iverson. In that they built the team around Iverson to offset his weaknesses and complement his strengths. They had guys who just worked about on offense, like setting picks and getting rebounds. And on the other end of the court, they had guys who played defense because Iverson basically wasn't going to really play defense to, to some degree. And I think Boston had that sort of same way when you had Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder and some guys like that, and the Wizards are not built at all to offset his weaknesses. They have defensive issues elsewhere, uh, and so to have him there is just, I mean, it really is tough. He's going to, I mean, you know, it's, it's early in the season and all that, but I, this is one of those things where it's hard to see it getting better substantially uh, because of the limitations that he has, not just size, but, you know, athleticism based on the injuries and things like that. Yeah, I, I don't think that number is going to be 124 at the end of the year. But I think it's going to be really, really high. It's been really high in past years, and I think it's going to stay really high this year. I mean, that that 20 point per 100 possessions disparity is just ginormous. I mean, that's that's the difference. That's way – 20 points per 100 possessions, I mean, that's way bigger than the difference between the best and the worst defense in the league. I mean, that's just a huge, huge deal. So, So I don't know – how much more that's going to come down, and I think it will come down, but I don't think it's going to come down that much. Like I, I, I really, I really don't. It's it's a weird, it's a weird thing to see a defensive efficiency that high. And man, on Wednesday, I'm sure it'll be an emotional game for him, but he's got Kemba Walker, who he's got to guard, and like Darius Garland, who came into that game on Friday shooting 29%, was getting by him with ease. And when I say with ease, I don't mean like Darius Garland was squaring him up, ISOing, and driving by. I mean Darius Garland would have a screen, and he would prod without the intention of driving around the screen. And IT, who's just not mobile like he used to be, would 
Garland would just kind of meander there and just kind of sort of end up in the paint because IT just couldn't keep up with Garland's just prodding. And he's Garland's a talented player, but he was shooting 29% coming into the game. He had played seven NBA games in his entire life. He's 19 years old, and he he had 15. It was the first time he had 15. And when guys get to the middle of the floor, it's not just like, that they get good shots for themselves. That's when you create corner threes. That's when you get dump offs. That's when you get lobs. I mean, that's that's when you get those mini kind of half court four on threes and all that kind of stuff. And it's or, or, or five on fours even. And and it's just like it's it's that's the last thing you want. You want to keep the ball away from the paint. When you have the ball in the paint and you have somebody in the paint with their momentum going towards the rim, that is just like the worst thing for a defense. And when you have that little resistance at the point of the ball, that's when you're going to struggle. And now on Wednesday, you got Brad Stevens knows how to attack him, obviously. And he's going to have to guard Kemba, right? I mean, it's hard to hide him because, like you said, the the rest of the defenders just, just aren't there. And so they, they can't really make up for it. When he and Beal are next to each other, their defensive rating is 127. It's crazy. (laughs) You know, one thing to, to again, you know, emphasizing it again, the Wizards did not build this roster to compete, so they didn't necessarily, like, I think think to themselves, hey, we have to, you know, because I always like to look at it as, Whatever the scenario is, we need to go big. We have this lineup. We want to go for more offense. We have this one. We need to go small ball. We have this one. Like, like you know, and like have those options. And I think the better teams, you know, you can't always get everything, just depending on how things break out with your roster. But that's sort of an ideal, I think. Um, the Wizards, they cannot go big in any capacity. They are small everywhere. I, Isaiah Thomas is very small for a point guard, obviously. Bradley Beal, now that we know he's officially 6'3", sorry, Brad. Um, you know, it, he was always not the biggest guy out there in his position anyway. He plays bigger than he is at times and, and all that, but he's just not a big a big player. Like You really can't go three guards, in my opinion, and have Beal play the three, right? He's just not big enough. Then, then it's small forward. I mean, just for argument's sake, let's just say it's Troy Brown. You know, he's 6'6". He's definitely not big for a three. At the four, Rui Hachimura, you know, he's decent size, good athleticism, wingspan, but, like, there's definitely power. You know, he's still not, like, even in the modern NBA, you know, maybe on against some teams he's he's the same size, but there's definitely power forwards who are going to be bigger than him with, with with decent regularity. And then at center, Thomas Bryant, you know, I mean, we're not talking about a guy who's just overwhelming size. He's, you know, at best maybe an average size center. I mean, you know, whatever. So they, they don't have that. Anywhere, and then you know, even if you just look to the bench, it's not like you know, it's not like there's anybody on the bench. Is I don't even think there's such a thing as a defensive stopper on this team at any position. So they, they are just small all the way around, and yeah, that's the problem with having an Isaiah Thomas. You literally can't hide him in any capacity. Um, you know, and also like even if Beal, who I think is a, at times a pretty good defender, what are you going to do? Hey, Bradley, you're not doing enough offensively for us. By, by doing everything, so do us a favor, guard the other team's best uh, guard. You get that job, too, on top of doing everything on offense. You cool with that and play 45 minutes? Great. <laughs> so, like, you know, there's only there's only so much they can do in this spot, but, yeah, it's a pretty glaring situation, and, um, yeah, I, 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 I don't see the solution on any capacity other than somehow a couple guys have, like, some of the sort of defensive uh, surge in their own abilities, and you know that 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 helps overall. But beyond that, I just don't even see how they could fix this. 
What are you thinking about IT's return to Boston? He didn't score when he played there last year. Do you think he gets like one? He's had some games where he's went off. It's just been against second units. Like you think think he's got like something in him for that game? Yeah, I mean, I I think so. I mean, I think he's kind of wired for that. We we know he's going to take shots regardless. I don't see him getting uh, getting nervous or the the stage being too big. And if you're Boston, I I don't see how you know. This isn't a situation where you were like, "Hey, Isaiah Thomas is coming back. It's a feel-good story, but he's a guy we really have to defend and all that." I don't think they're going to like game plan around him, so he should get enough looks, and you know, hopefully for his sake and the Wizards' sake, obviously, but for him in particular, uh, the shots fall. I'm sure it'll be a nice moment. Um, you know, if, if if Bill Simmons is any kind of barometer of the Celtics fans. I heard him on a podcast recently say that he's been watching the Wizards a decent amount because IT's been getting run, and he wanted to see him perform. So, I mean, I imagine there'll be a lot of people up there who are curious and excited to see what he can do uh, because, obviously, he was a big hero for them. And, uh, you know, that'll be great. And hopefully, you know, hopefully he gets uh, he, he gets a few shots to fall and feels good about the situation, even if his defensive rating on that night might be <clears throat> not, 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 uh, not super good. Um, yeah. One thing that I think is so cool, though, is the mutual relationship between IT and the Boston fans. Like, that's that's a special thing. That's not a, a normal thing where Boston fans root that hard for a dude who's not there anymore. You know? Yeah, I mean, he was, I mean, that year... Um, you know, he was unbelievable and, you know, such a folk hero, the, you know, the short dude who everybody kind of looked over, you know, his whole career had such a great thing. And then, like, the way that it ended um, with Boston, you know, so moving him and, and then not giving him the, you know, he doesn't get, doesn't end up getting that big contract that he was he was clearly pushing for. And then the injuries happen and all that. And it just went so south. Um, I, you know, I mean, it went from, you know, he's the hero to – you know, nobody wants him in like ten seconds, basically. And uh, you know, I'm sure like people, you know, just on the human level, human level have got to be sympathetic. It's not like where you know he went, he left Boston, went to another team, started doing great. You know, because it went so south, I think people have just nothing but sympathy for him. I would imagine. He was awesome that last year in Boston. He was and plus all right. Plus everything that happened with his with his sister, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. And and then you know his own health or you know injuries that he was playing through and yeah he was desperate. I mean look that that's what makes it so weird watching him play for the Wizards because of how he destroyed the Wizards um, in that series and you know that obviously he did that all year. So yeah no I mean for his sake I hope it's uh, <clears throat> I hope it's uh, work works out. Um, well, but just I'm curious like what do you think about the fact that like I again it, signing him was a, a, a low risk. No big deal for the Wizards. Worst case scenario, he stinks. He doesn't play. He gets hurt. You know, it doesn't cost them anything. It's just a roster spot, so on. But, like, in terms of the idea of trying to be competitive within reality, and if defense is sort of like, even again, even if they had kept Sadoransky or had a Patrick Beverly playing point guard, this team would still not be very good. But what do you think about, like, now that we see it a little bit more, the idea that they already had Ish Smith and they went double down on small point guards who aren't very good on defense and knowing that that's the first line of defense 
and it's <laughs> and you know that that's gonna put you know even no matter what you try to do that that may put you in a bad spot. So you're asking me. Basically, knowing that you already had Ish Smith was signing Isaiah Thomas, even oh, for the cheap that contract, you. a smart play considering you already had what you already had at point guard plus your limitations elsewhere. Yeah, uh, that's a fair question. I'm not sure yet. I haven't made up my mind uh, because I, I know the reason that they say that they wanted IT wasn't really on court stuff. If you read between the lines of what Tommy Shepard says publicly – it's he wanted him there because he wanted him as a as a guy next to John Wall. He wanted him there because you know obviously he's had to he's been a you know an all star who's had to recover from a major injury. He wants him there to show the young guys how to work and all that. And if that's what you really want, then then I I get that. I wonder if he isn't playing if you put Ish Smith back in the lineup, what that's gonna do for you know um, like how happy is he going to be with that. Um, I also wonder, like, okay, he can do the leadership and all that kind of stuff, and maybe he gives A-grade leadership for the entire season. He's unbelievable for the young guys. But when you can't stay in front of anybody, then you're reinforcing bad habits because now guys are having to jump out of position to try to help all the time and make up for your mistakes, and you're not really teaching great on-court habits, even if it's not an effort thing. You know, it's just like, when Troy Brown is constantly having to jump out of where he's supposed to be because you're messing up, you're not helping Troy Brown get better and really learn how to play good defense, you know, good team, solid team defense. You know what I mean? So I I can see where you're coming from. I just need more time to figure it out. It's still only been eight games. Before we continue with the conversation with Ben, I just want to talk to you guys for a second about StockX. Do you ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers? The ones that barely hit shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Millions are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out, from the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordan to the hottest new streetwear from brands like Supreme, Palace, and Kith. With StockX, it's all about transparency. Now you can shop smarter than ever using real-time market data for everything on the site. Rest easy knowing you'll never overpay shopping on StockX. StockX allows users to buy and sell pre-owned, excellent condition luxury handbags and watches from brands like Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, Rolex, Omega, and more. You want in on the hype? Check out StockX.com slash MBA. Again, that's StockX, S-T-O-C-K-X dot com slash nba for a surprise offer that won't be around long okay i want to ask you the washington wizards were supposed to be terrible then came out turned out the washington wizards were actually fun and now the washington wizards are two and six where where are you at are you are you at they're going to be kind of fun but not win a lot of games are you at the fun stuff is going to go away when they're when they accumulate enough losses? What 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 are you thinking right now? <laughs> it's funny because I was thinking about um, what you know, sort of how what was my view of the Wizards, and and a lot of it is shaped on some level by the influences around me. Meaning, like, how do people on Twitter react? Or like, I have a lot of friends who, despite the fact that I cover the Wizards, and the Wizards have been you know pretty reasonable in recent seasons, never ask me about the Wizards. 
But now, after the first few games, they're like, oh, hey, you know what? Wizards are kind of fun to watch. Plucky, young kids, you know, all that stuff. You know, And so I was like, okay, positive. But then when they, every time they have a game like they did Friday, when they lose to a Cleveland team that's also not very good, or, you know, people just you know, freak out. Scott Brooks is terrible. What is the, what, what are the, what's this guy doing? What's going on? Like, as if it's like a regular game in, in recent years where they're sort of trying to, to win. They, they freak out over the losses. So, I, I, me, me personally, I mean, my, I don't think I've changed. Uh, to me, this was a, a season about trying to test th- these young kids to see what they can do. Try to figure out what do you have with with you know th- this new sort of look to the organization. How does Scott Brooks? I mean, you're kind of evaluating him as well. Rui Hachimura, obviously Troy Brown, and you know, can you get can you find a handful of pieces that are going to be a rotation at, at a minimum guys when John Wall comes back and and so on. So I don't really haven't changed too much. It's nice to see when they're competitive, whatever in whatever way you want to phrase that. Because obviously we have to watch it, <laughs> and ultimately you don't want to watch, uh, you know, bad, bad, bad uh, games. I mean, I, I I cover the Redskins, so so I already have that, um, <laughs> so I don't need more of that in my life. However, again, sort of going back to the, my point about the Isaiah Thomas thing and signing him, like I, I just feel like I felt like at the time when they when they didn't bring back any of the free agents that they had, uh, and again I understand the reasons why in most cases. But it just felt like they assembled a team that on a lot of nights is going to struggle to score 80 to 90 points and will struggle most nights to stop an opponent from scoring 115 to 120. It's almost like I felt like they kind of needed to lean one way or the other. Get a bunch of guys who are going to be tenacious on defense and you'll struggle to score, but at least you'll have, an, you'll, you, you know, you'll have some good nights the other way. Or go all in offensively and get guys who can get buckets. And they didn't really do that either. So... I, 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 I'm okay with where things are at, but I suspect the tide will turn, especially once and other NBA teams, you know, we start getting, you know, we're getting around the 10 game mark, 10, 15 games, other NBA teams start to wake up that, you know, the, the, they, they shook off the cobwebs, the seasons, seasons afoot, and they're going to get going. So I suspect more long nights ahead. And I do think that that's going to sort of turn to everybody who's going, Oh, this is kind of fun to watch too. Oh, they, how many more games do they have? Yeah, I think they're more fun. Then I thought, you know who's fun? Mo, Mo Wagner is fun. There was a play in practice today. They were scrimmaging, and we kind of got to see the end of it today. And Mo Wagner and Thomas Bryant guard each other. And Mo Wagner and Thomas Bryant guarding each other is exactly what you would think it would be. There is more flailing in that than there is in like a wacky, waving, inflatable arm flailing tube man. It is amazing. They they have no control over their own or each other's bodies. Thomas Bryant finished over Wagner in some play where they both somehow ended up on the floor and Bryant ended up shooting the shot with his body like parallel to the ground and they were both yelling after because they both thought they got they both thought they got fouled. It was just wonderful. It was exactly what you would expect from Mo Wagner versus Thomas Bryant. Wagner's fouls are, I mean, they got to work on it uh, because it's just every type of foul. Let's see. What are his foul numbers? Let's see. Where are we at? Mo Wagner, fouls per, 7.9 fouls per 36 minutes. It is ridiculous. But you know what? He's been good in the minutes that he's played. Fouls aside, uh, he currently leads the league in two-point percentage. He's shooting 70% on twos, which is ridiculous. He's shooting 39 from three. 
I mean, he's 7 for 18, so we'll see. He didn't make him last year, but he made him in the preseason. He's making him now. He's scoring with a lot of confidence. His shot looks good. He made him in college. I think he's going to make him. I think he's going to make his threes. We'll see if he makes him a 35% clip or a 38% clip, but I think he's going to make him. He is a fun backup big. Like, there's a lot that has to get better. The defense has to get better. The tendencies have to get better. Knowing where the hell his body is going has to get better. He he screens on offense because of illegal screens, moving screens. He hooks guys in the post. He screens on defense because he thinks he's getting verticality, and he's just not. He comes out of nowhere to try to block shots when he shouldn't. He tries to take charges and their blocks, all these different things. It's crazy, but it is, it is fun. It is fun to watch Mo Wagner, and you know what? Leads the Wizards in net rating of anybody who's in the rotation. He has a very positive net rating right now. They are outscoring opponents when he's in the game. He, he also has a very positive attitude. I don't know if he's the, the, the prankster on the team, but he, I, I, you know, he seems like the guy who's made, made lead the team in, in jokes per per day. Uh, you know, his uh, I don't know J E R uh, jokes efficiency rating would probably be pretty high. Um, he and and just like he seems like you know, a pretty positive guy in in nature, and that's a good thing. And you know, yeah, I mean, look, uh, we said this a hundred times. Getting those guys from the Lakers was a straight up lottery ticket. Cost them nothing. Uh, e- easy, easy maneuver to see what you have, and that's what this is all about: taking those shots. Uh, by, by the way, in our two responses, I think they perfectly uh, 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 show our personalities. You are much more. A, a guy who's like living in the moment and, and, and sort of paying attention to what's happening around you in that moment. And I'm always looking around the corner. I'm not living in the moment. And then our two, our two answers, I think kind of, uh, kind of, kind of shed that. <laughs> hey, that Lakers trade. I mean, I think we can second guess the it signing for sure. We'll see how it ends up. I haven't made up my mind yet, but I could see it going either way. That Lakers trade. I mean, I said it when it happened, and I believe it even more now. Incredible trade for the Wizards. They they gave up literally the least you are illegally allowed to give up in a trade. They gave up $1.1 million in cash, which is the smallest amount of cash. That is the minimum amount of cash you're allowed to trade in a deal. They got back an unprotected 2022 second round pick, which right away makes the deal worth it. Mo Wagner is something. I don't know what yet, but he's something. And they got him for free with three years remaining on a rookie-scale deal with the 25th pick. That is a great trade. Isaac Bonga, Isak Bonga, sorry. I I don't know if he's something. I don't know what he is yet. We'll see. It depends on who you ask, really. I think there are some people who think like he's, he's, he's going to be good. There are other people who think the skills just aren't there. But he's intriguing. But Wagner, we know, he's something. Like, he, he's a good offensive big man. And he might never be more than a backup big who's a good offensive big man. But that's fine. You just got a backup big for free who's a good offensive player for free, for nothing. What a, and, and a 2022 unprotected and the, the right to see what the heck Bonga is. What a great deal. Like what a what a great way to turn nothing into something. Same thing. It's the same concept as Bertans. Bertans they traded the right to the rights to 
Aaron White, who might, 27 years old, is playing in Greece and might never come to the NBA, even if he is good enough to come to the NBA, might never come to the NBA because he's making a lot of money overseas. What a what a great deal. Yeah, the Bertans deal is a great deal, except for the fact that I considered myself to be the Aaron White uh, beat reporter. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure I've written more about Aaron White than anybody in, you, the, in, in, the, in the in the Wizards you, world. So You uh, know what that's those, called, right? Having no life? What's that? <laughs> the Aaron Wright. Oh, look at that. Um, so, uh, well, well, let me ask you this. Just to, to, just Having to, no well, life. What a... <laughs> no, you did, it's Aaron Wright. I like it. I like it. Uh, uh, but, again, my, my brain, I'm already springing forward here. So so let's play the Mo Wagner thing I, just for fun, for funsies. Like, people ask me, like, what's this wizard season about? And I'm just like, if we're really just boiling it down, it's to see – the hope is that by the end of the year, Rui Hachimura is a starting player in the NBA, at least, you know, that, that they can see that's going to happen, that Troy Brown and Thomas Bryant are at a minimum rotation players. I mean, I think Thomas Bryant's already shown that, but there's a difference between putting up some good stats on a, on a bad team versus being a guy you can use in the playoffs, you know. So if, the, if those three guys can be that, Bradley Beal keeps being an all-star, John Wall comes back, you have a lottery pick – Next year, a top five pick, you know, conceivably. And then, you know, some some uh, cap space because of a lot of guys are going to leave. Yada, yada. I mean, relatively speaking, with Wall and Beal making a lot of money, uh, all that stuff. Like, okay, hypothetically, if, if, if everything works out great and John Wall is somewhere close to where he was previously, which is who knows. But let's just say that all happens and the Wizards make some decent offseason moves. Like, it's not it's incon- it's not inconceivable that they're sort of back in the mix to be that 6, 7, 8 seed, and who knows if, you know, depending on where Wall's at, right? So if all that said, and all of a sudden the Wizards look like a team that could be contending for the playoffs, again, this is just the, the best-case scenario, what is Mo Wagner at that point? Is he at, do, I mean, again, it's super early in the season and things will change one way or the other, but, like, what what is he? Is he the backup center? To Thomas Bryant, is he the fourth big man that need to get some sort of, uh, I don't mean Jeff Green exactly, but like an athletic four who can maybe play small ball five? Uh, you know, like what, like what is Mo Wagner's realistic upside on a team that actually potentially thinks they could be good? It's probably a backup big because he's not a defender and, and you really need your center to defend to some degree if you want a, a decent defense. But – I could see him being a good backup big. Like, I could totally see that. Right now, he's playing 18 minutes a game. I could see him just perfecting that role. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's even better than that. But but for now, I, I, I kind of think that's what he is. But that's fine. That's totally fine. Guy who comes in can just carve up bench units, can shoot threes, can score around the rim. He sets He sets good screens when they're legal. <laughs> like, the thing is... I could see him becoming a really good screen setter because the best screen setters don't set legal screens. They set illegal screens. They're just really good at not getting caught. Kevin Garnett never set a a legal screen in his life. He was just really good at not getting caught and why it was illegal. There are some guys who just set illegal screens all the time, but they're really bad at getting caught. They don't set illegal screens in the right way. But his, his head is in the right spot in setting these really hard illegal screens he's just got to figure out the right way to do it now he might never figure out the right way to do it some people never figure out the right way to do it ryan hollins has me blocked on twitter and i think the reason why ryan hollins blocked me on twitter 
is because I I I would point out that Ryan Hollins never figured out how to do that. He would just set illegal screens. And I think that's the only thing I've ever tweeted about Ryan Hollins. So it's got to be uh, it's got to be that. Uh, but <laughs> but. But – and I know this because I met Ryan Hollins, and he was not friendly to me, and I looked him up on Twitter, and he had me blocked. It was a hell of a day for me. But wow. – so Wagner the really is, is he going to be a guy who figures that out or not? If he figures that out, it's like, man, like now all of a sudden he's a real pick-and-roll threat. He's already a pick-and-roll threat, pick-and-pop threat, all that kind of stuff um, You know, against second-unit defenders who aren't as good. That's why they're in the second unit. I think he's going to be able to carve up – Bench units, I really do. I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. He he looks good. He's averaging 22 points per 36 minutes right now on, on incredible efficiency. And his efficiency is not going to keep up to this degree. And that's fine because it's unbelievable right now. It doesn't have to be unbelievable. It can just be good. But what's the – true shooting right now is 70%. That's not keeping up. That's That's incredible. He, 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 I'm not going to predict that he's going to lead the league in two-point percentage while shooting 39 from three. That's a unfair prediction. But can he have? Can he score at a at a good efficiency on an above-average usage? Yeah, yeah, I think he for sure can. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I, I like Mo Wagner. I liked him in college. I know some people didn't love him coming out of the draft, but you know, I I get the the, the chance. Like we said, no risk, all that. And he could be interesting. Um, you know, I just, I, I just, you know, based on what they have, I'll just be curious to see if he, if they believe or, or anybody believes that he's like a somewhat of a rotation player. I'll just be curious to see if it's one of those things where, hey, we've developed an asset. This is pretty good, but now if we're actually trying to put forth a, a, a nine, ten man lineup to, to, to actually be good. Then um, I, I don't know where he fits in at the moment, so I'll be curious to see if he's like a. Which, which isn't to say it's a, you know develop him doesn't matter whatever happens it's, it's all good if he's an asset one way or the other, but I'll, I'll just be curious to see uh, to see ultimately uh, to see what he is and uh, I mean, that's the thing sometimes like when you when you do the asset game and you just sort of grab pieces wherever you can it doesn't always fit and that's totally fine. Like I said, we discussed it from the Isaiah Thomas standpoint why that may be a little problematic. But with the young guys, it's okay. You don't worry about that, especially on a team that's going to be bad. It's just when things start to get good, then you have to see how do the pieces actually fit so we're covered in various ways. And, you know, if Thomas Bryant was a different type of center, having a, a guy like Wagner who's not much on defense would be different. But, um, you know, that's fine. What I'm discussing is is like step 842. We're on step three. Of, of the Wizards trying to figure this out. So, um, you know, I was just curious uh, about that. We'll, uh, we will see what happens. Yeah. I like Wagner's shot selection too, actually. I think he has much better shot selection than Thomas Bryant. Thomas Bryant puts up mid-rangers early in the shot clock and uh, just kind of wants to get his jump shot off. You can tell he's a, he's a big who kind of wants to be a guard. And he's excellent around the rim and should be doing whatever he can to get shots at the rim because he shot 80% in the restricted area last year, which is wild. And no matter how well he shoots from three, he'd have to shoot over 50% from three in order to hit his efficiency that he gets on layups, which obviously he's not going to shoot 50-something percent from three. I'm not saying don't work on your threes. Don't take it if you're wide open. That's a good shot. But like those those jump shots early in the shot clock – those mid-range shots early in the shot clock, even though he is a very good mid-range shooter, that that's not Thomas Bryant's identity, or it shouldn't be Thomas Bryant's identity. Um, 
Wagner just doesn't have that. He just doesn't. He's all shots at the rim and threes. I, I like that. That's that's what I, if my backup big is going to be a offensive minded scorer, that's what I want. I don't want my backup big bogging down offense with seventeen footers early in the shot clock. Uh, I, I I like that from from Wagner that that he seems to kind of know what he is, know how to operate like that offensively. Uh, anything else that you want to chat about? Well, it sounds like. Sounds like Wagner will be on whatever team Mike D'Antoni coaches in the near future. Yeah, well, I'll have to. You know, it's weird. I wrote an article last year about how Austin Rivers hadn't taken a, a mid-range shot yet, and I wrote it in like I don't know, beginning of December or something like that, maybe end of November, and that he hadn't taken a mid-range shot through five weeks into the season or whatever. And for some reason, that article had staying power with people because people still reference it to me every once in a while. And I'm looking through it, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's going to be a guy for me to do that on this year. And just do a follow up just every year and do a story on the guy who doesn't take a mid range shot through five weeks. <laughs> um it could be, it could be. Um yeah, no, I, I think uh, you know, I'm uh I don't know if I have anything else to to, to add. You know, I, I will just say just sort of as we're talking through this, like basically we didn't talk about what the next game is. <laughs> we didn't talk about what the last game really was. And I think on some level you know, obviously each podcast will, will be different. You'll have different people on and have different angles. And, you know, just like with from a writing perspective on The Athletic, we, we tend to shy away from writing about the games themselves. But, the, I mean, you know, that'll be the interesting thing is, like, how much, you know, there'll be times, I guess, where the games are interesting, especially when they're playing well or something of note happens. But, yeah, it is definitely much more about the broader picture with them as why they why things happen and, and all versus, like, oh, boy, what was what was that? What happened there were three minutes to go in the fourth quarter, yada, yada, yada. Well, I mean, is there something involved. you want to say about the Cavs game? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not It's not, It's not. It's not going to be, you know, that type. I mean, you know, I think the thing will be like, oh, hey, Rui Hachimura, you know, he, you know, he showed better, uh, you know, kept his head up on the drive, had fed to somebody, something he wasn't doing earlier in the season, or, um, you know, maybe Isaiah Thomas, you know, hey, look, maybe IT just needed to get that hip a little looser. Whatever it is, he seems a little more better with his lateral quickness and is somehow able to sort of marginally stay in front of guys. You know, we'll see stuff like that. But, uh, um, yeah. Um, also, is this the first time you had a podcast where Bradley Beal was not really discussed? I have no idea. I black out for all my podcasts. So I have no clue. It must be the edibles. Exactly. You, you just beat me. You just beat me to it. Nice. You know what worries me about Rui? Uh, he's just – he made a lot of shots. He he looks good when he makes a lot of shots, and he looks bad when he doesn't make a lot of shots. And I think that's why we've seen all these all-or-nothing games because that's what happens when you have a guy who's really good at the least efficient shots. He's really good at mid-range shots. He's not good at threes, and he's not good at getting to the line. And when you don't have something else to fall back on, like the most extreme example of this is that James Harden is averaging 36 right now, even though his field goal percentage is terrible and his three-point percentage is terrible, and it's because he's getting the line 16 times a game. And that's the most extreme example that props up his efficiency to such an outrageous degree that he's averaging 36, and when his percentages are up, he might be averaging 40 for all we know. So that is an outrageous example. I'm not saying everybody has to be like that. But the thing that will always concern me with a guy of that style is 
that when you rely on being really, really good at the least efficient shots, in order to just be normal efficient, you have to make like an elite number. And relying on being elite at any specific aspect of the game, that's what's dangerous about if if Harden actually were like a 38% shooter and playing the way he played, I'd say that was dangerous too. Now you're still relying on being elite at getting to the free throw line. That's why being well-rounded helps. Something's not working, you can go to something else. And I'm not saying that because of what Rui is now, that's how he's always going to be. The Wizards believe that he's going to develop a three-point shot. You know, he might be able to get to the line more. We've seen in the past guys who don't get to the line as a rookie and 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 they just get better at finishing through contact and creating contact and they create all these little moves in the paint that help him get there. But the shots that he likes to take, the way that he looks the most comfortable, aren't as conducive to those, you know, free throw creating moments. And that, I would say is the thing that would concern me about his offensive game through eight games of his NBA career. It's a nitpick for now. He's very talented. He's had some games where he looks great, but everyone looks great when they make shots. Uh, And we'll see. I mean, maybe he is just going to be the best mid-range shooter in the NBA. Maybe he is. And if that's the case, then cool. Like, you can break. There are players who break the math. Chris Paul breaks the math. Kevin Durant breaks the math. Those guys are unbelievable from mid-range. Let them take whatever mid-range shots they want. They're great shots. And maybe he'll be that. And and if that's the case, then you know I have to revise uh, what I'm saying. Then what I'm saying is not doesn't hold up anymore. It's not correct. Uh, but even if he's very, very good at it, if he makes 45% of those shots, 44% of those shots, that's still like 0.88 points per possession, which is really bad, even in a half-court set. If that's what your primary go-to is, you got to find another way that's more efficient for your primary scoring. And you can take those shots. You can take those shots. You don't have to completely eliminate them. They can still absolutely be part of your arsenal. They just don't have to be the go-to of how you create the majority of your offense. Otherwise, you're Rudy Gay. You know? And then, and then you have a, and then you kind of have a problem. You bog down your offense. You're, you're Toronto or, you know, late Memphis Rudy Gay. And then you kind of have a problem. So I'm I'm curious to see how his career evolves. I think he's very talented. I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens with him. But that's my Rui take, which you didn't ask for. No, no, I I, I like it. I I, I very much do. Yeah, uh, we we need to go. But I'll just say this because this is what happens when you and I talk. Uh, what I, I one thought I had prior earlier when you when you said, do I have any other Wizards thoughts? When we were talking about Thomas Bryant and you talked about his shot efficiency. Like, the one thing I thought about in the offseason was, like, I get why they didn't say keep a Jabari Parker for a variety of reasons, um, even though it looks like he's having a pretty good turn in Atlanta, but there's the multi-year contract they didn't want. His, his defense was was non-existent. He was a chucker, uh, things like that. But he definitely could score. And I think the one thing I wondered was, did the Wizards put themselves in a position where they just didn't have enough offense? I think the answer is Yes, in terms of guys that can create, but it sort of puts a lot of pressure also, like on Bryant and and Rui, not in the sense that like, no matter what the rest of us are viewing this as, they're viewing it as, hey, we're playing basketball. This is a game. I look around on the court. It seems pretty clear to me that I need to score, and ra- and rather than like uh, being a, sort of allowed to focus on sort of the smaller parts of the game that need that you need to work on or focus on rebounding or defense or whatever, like the Wizards t- 
to compete need those two guys to score. And, you know, they just don't have those other options. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I'm not saying you're going to get into bad habits or anything like that. But, you know, know, that they're relied upon to do that. And all of a sudden I could imagine, you know, to some degree, Thomas Bryant taking um, some ill-advised shots because he's trying to do what he thinks he needs to do and he's the the number two scorer or whatever, or Rui the same, and maybe he feels his self-worth on some level right now is in the scoring because, again, like no matter what the rest of us think of it, these are guys trying to win. They're not trying to lose. They're trying to win and figure out how to do it, and typically that's, hey, we got to score a bunch of points, and, uh, you know, if the shots aren't falling and and you put your worth into that because that's where you are in this point of your career and where the team is, you know, I could imagine getting into some bad habits or losing some – you know, uh, losing some confidence on any given night, things like that. So, um, you know, we'll see something something else to consider. There's nothing much you can do about it now, but that was one thought I sort of had during the offseason about when they went so far. Uh, yeah, I was concerned that they went so far down in terms of you know, having a roster that had enough guys who, who could get points. Anything to plug before we wrap up? Um, you know, if you're into the Redskins, I read about the Redskins. And... Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, I don't have much else going on right now, but uh, you know, just look, just, just just subscribe to the Athletic, and that'll make us all happy. Yes, subscribe to the Athletic, theathletic.com/slash/wizards-after-dark, and you can subscribe there for up to. Not up to. You can subscribe there for 40% off on an annual subscription. You can subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. Give us five stars. Leave a review. That's always nice. I'll be back on Wednesday night. Subscription-only episode on Wednesday night. Uh, That's going to be following the Celtics game. I'm going to podcast with Jay King over there. Uh, I will be back then. Otherwise, I'll be back with uh, another free episode probably sometime early next week. I'll talk to you guys then.